0: Hi, everyone. It's Joanna. Before we get into this podcast, it's really important for me to clarify something I've said. Author Gordon Mott and I discuss a scene in which his character, Yurati, is brutally attacked. I want to make sure people understand that when I say the attack scene is amazing, I'm talking about how Gordon wrote that difficult scene. I do not want my comments to take away from the fact that the real Yorati suffered a horrible attack in her home. To the real Yorate, if you are listening, thank you for sharing your story with Gordon. You are an amazing, courageous, strong woman. Hey there, everyone, you know what this is. This is my podcast, and my name is Joanna, and I'm the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and last night I was working on the second edits of the last chapter, so I feel like the little train that could, or whatever that, that saying is, I'm just, I'm plowing ahead I'm going to get these second edits done and then I'm putting putting the book away for like three weeks and it's going to drive me crazy (laughs) and then I'll get back to it. But anyways, thank you for listening. A shout out to the rest of Canada, the US, the UK, Germany, Australia for tuning in. A little update on the Aussie and Pepper Chronicles. For those who don't know, Pepper is our new mini schnauzer puppy, also known as baby shark teeth, also known as chompers. OK, <laughs> anyways, Ozzie and Pepper are doing well. Pepper's a pro at walking, and now Ozzie is trying to teach Pepper. Let's not always play fight. And Ozzie is knocking Pepper on the head with his rope toy, trying to get him to engage with tugging on the rope. So that's the latest update with those two dogs. Today, I have Gordon Mott, the author of Lithuanian Lullaby, The Angels of Klaipeda. These titles should be familiar. And now he has written Tears of Urati, and he's back. And we're going to talk about Tears of Urati. It is quite a book. And uh, Gordon is quoted in the Baltic Times as I have a special place in my heart for the Baltics. We're gonna talk about that too. Now, Gordon is a former American Lithuanian English teacher, and he met his wife, Asta, in Lithuania in the early 1990s. Gordon's first book, Lithuanian Lullaby, was published in early 2021, which blows my mind, because God, he's been busy, (laughs) and because we're talking about book three and it immediately, it took off. It was an Amazon bestseller. It was on the bestsellers list in both the USA and Canada in the Lithuania category. It's achieved the coveted number one position in both countries, and it has sold well in Europe and is being purchased by readers as far away as India. And before I introduce Gordon, I wanted to mention one other thing, and that was for all the authors who listen, I am noticing with my analytics that even if you record it, for example, we'll use you, Gordon, as an example, mm-hmm. even though we may have recorded Lithuanian Lullaby last year, I am noticing that listeners are listening to older podcasts as well. So that oh, has been really? really cool to see. Like, I will see the date. I'll see the spike. And I'll see July 6, 2022, and I'll see, let's say, the recent podcast. And then I will see that exact podcast, like the name of the the author who's been, who someone listened to it, you know, from six months ago, a year ago. And that, to me, is so cool. And that's why I wanted to give the shout out to whoever's listening out there. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. you so, have quite an array. Uh, it's amazing the people I hear from that uh listen to this program. And you know I it, you know uh it's always hard to to go next after such a lead in but I'm I'm, I'm I I want to hear all about the pepper chronicles. So I'm not sure anyone wants to hear about my latest book but uh the latest antics of those dogs sound like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, a lot of mayhem. So Gordon, welcome.
1: Thank welcome. you. It's nice to be there. I want to point out a dis- uh, discrepancy a minor discrepancy. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff written on those. Particularly on the first book, Lithuanian Lullaby. But, uh, I am uh, neither uh, an American or a Lithuanian, uh, but I, 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 it is nice to be wanted. I hope that's a desire that they want me. Yeah. But uh, I am neither, so I'm a complete uh, outsider. But uh, I, it was a beautiful article the Baltic, uh, Baltic times.
0: Yeah, yeah. So your quote: "I have a special place." I just noticed a typo in my in my notes. Here, I have a special place in my heart for the Baltics. Okay, I've lived in Victoria for 25 years. Our daughters have grown nice up tab. there. Yeah, it has crime, it has homelessness. Um, I still take the dogs to the vet in Sydney. I use the Brentwood Bay, Mill Bay Ferry. Um, it's, uh, we're having a hell of a time getting a doctor. So damn, I'm not losing that bet. So anyways, I love Victoria. I love Brentwood Bay and it is a special place for me. And I have said to my critique partner that there are definitely times that I miss it. And, um, I have talked with my daughter and I've said now, is it that I actually miss the place or do I miss the times that place represents like pre-pandemic, pre the political scene, pre-what's happening to Ukraine. So that's what I wanted to find about you. Um, what is it about the Baltics you love? Was it your time there, or is it that actual place in the people? Oh my goodness, or all of it? Uh you know, that's
1: a that's a that's an interesting um question. Now, in the in the Baltics, I've met people who've uh, survived occupied three occupations uh soviets nazis and soviets yeah um i've met people who've resisted that final occupation by fighting in the forest which went on for years after the occupation began uh, i've met people who've survived uh, siberia joanna uh, they were deportees um I've met many people who were involved in the fight for independence, and many people who had to survive those early days of independence, which were uh, which were chaotic. So this doesn't really answer your question, but you know, for me, it may um, may even go beyond a uh, place and time. It, the Baltics are a, un- are a place that are, are filled with unusual characters because of that history, and all those stories that uh, that uh, pour out and. Um, In many ways, it's a very mysterious kind of of location. Uh, I'll give you an example. People in Lithuania to this day still appear to have some affinity towards paganism. It was one of the last areas in Europe to accept Christianity. And, you know, if you're ever in in Lithuania during the stormy season, uh, people utter the name Akunas after a thunderclap. So it's a Raccoonis is a god of thunder. <laughs> you know what, I was about to say uh, the god of thunder in Lithuanian mythology. However, I, I, I used that term mythology at one point, and it didn't go over well with the Lithuanian audience. Okay. Uh, many so Greeks and Romans may have accepted the term myth to describe their pantheon of, of gods, mm. but uh, in uh, many Lithuanians prefer the word legend. And I think that speaks of the of the unusual character of this of that place, right? Of the Lithuania and the, and the Baltics as well.
0: Utah. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So Tears of Yurati, and I'm saying that right? Yes, Yurati. Excellent, actually. You, you, you I'm glad can you can
1: tell heard. that East European coming through in you. Well, and you also have the phonetic in the book. <laughs> yes, yay. I do. So
0: can you give us a little teaser about what Tears of Yurati is about? Well, it's it's uh, it's an all that commences in uh,
1: 1997. This this is a very unusual time throughout, uh, throughout Central Europe, and especially, and including Lithuania. And the majority of people in this era, Joanna, they live in a kind of chaos. Uh, the mafia plays an impactful role in uh, Lithuanian society. Uh, corruption is commonplace. However, on the other side of that same coin, uh, this is era of the late 90s is also a, a time of progress. Uh, the country is um, moving towards marketization of the economy. Living standards are beginning to creep up for some. The country is moving toward taking its place in the world community, and, 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 you know, and it's actively trying to get into organizations like NATO and the EU. So I try to depict, depict both of the, the sides of that coin through the characters that I use. And Urate is a market trader uh, who moves Goods amongst kiosks and markets across Central Europe, which was quite common at the time, yeah. but these are really dangerous times to be in that kind of a trade, especially uh, for a woman. And Urate's business is exclusively cash business. And so one day, uh, she comes home from a from a trading journey, and she's attacked in her own flat. Um, and the thieves hurt her really bad and leave her for dead. But you know, urate not unlike her country, uh, while it was undersea, she, she she continues, she survives. She needs to, con- and when she recovers, she needs to continue to deal with this mafia and corruption. Uh, and she keeps fighting, but things get so much worse before they get uh, better for her. And then, in addition, on the other side of the coin, I also contrast that uh, her story with the story of the nouveau riche couple, uh, you know, who moved through the same period. And their problems are quite different. Darius is a government minister. Uh, he's responsible for EU accession. Uh, his wife, Vanna, is a restauranteur. restauranteur. And, uh, you know, whereas Yurati struggles to survive, uh, to live, uh, Darius and Vanna in some ways struggle to find meaning
0: in wow. their life.
1: Um, so they're, they all face demons, but they're very different.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Very different demons.
0: And it's interesting with how you've written the book. When you go from Urati's storyline to Vanna's storyline and Darius and that you just the difference in I do I want to say wealth, right? Because yep. Vanna and Darius, they're, they're, they're doing pretty good. Right. And then they're you know, I think in our in, in our society we equate wealth with
1: with um <sighs> You know, a better way of, of living our lives, and, yeah. and and you know, it certainly it certainly does, but it also causes us a lot of introspection, right? And it causes some of the most depressed uh, people are people with lots of money, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not know what to do with that, right? It's a uh, and so it's uh, where we contrast uh, that with urate who who doesn't have time to think about those issues, but she's always. Yeah.
0: See, and my mom used to say that. I remember my mom used to say that she was so busy. She goes, I don't have time. I don't have time to be sad or like old old fashioned Hungarian. Right. Yes. And, yeah. She's like, I don't have time for this. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyways. anyways. Yeah. Like, like a lot of what you have written resonated with me, um, with Vanna and her family being Hungarian. Um, but we'll get to that. So the other thing I wanted to say was your foreword. In your foreword, you have that last sentence. And it's it's a simple sentence. It's just, welcome to 1997. And I, it, just, it, it took me back to a time as well. And your dedication, it made me choke up. So what does... Slava Ukraine, mean?
1: <laughs> well, that's Ukrainian. I've yeah. uh, used the Roman uh, script for it. Uh, glory to Ukraine! Uh, I'm glad that you read that uh, dedication. So, when I wrote this book, I never, I, I intended to dedicate it uh, to the market traders of uh, the 1990s. And Joanna, these this is a group that was seen with some derision uh, by the wider population, but they were really essential in rebuilding yeah. that. Broken economy. But uh, when I got to publish, uh, I felt compelled to mention uh, our Ukrainian uh, friends who have, they have been so ruthlessly. Dead. You know, uh, what's interesting, the parallels between Ukraine and, say, the beginning of 2022 and Lithuania during this period are interesting. So in the, in the 1990s, all of Central and Eastern Europe. We're in a kind of chaos of violence. There was a degree of anarchy, corruption was, was rife. But by the beginning of the 2000s, 2000s things really began to change in many of those countries. In mean, Lithuania, the mafia problem began to disappear. Corruption began to dissipate. Living standards inched up. Uh, uh, indeed, it would be fair to say, I think that Lithuania began to depart a period of what I would describe as kleptocracy, okay. uh, where mobsters Policemen, bureaucrats did everything they could to line their pockets. Uh, and they moved in that early period from a time of, you know, focused around thievery and what you could get for yourself yeah. to something that I think a political scientist would call, a, you know, civil society. And that's kind of a difficult concept civil society, right? It's a uh, civil society is very hard to define, but very easy for a witness to see when a uh, when a community or, or you know population starts to move to civil society. A civil society is one where uh, people wait in a queue instead of fighting their way to get to the top or bribing somebody to get to the front or, or whatever. Or, or it can be as as uh, you know as little as. You know, if uh, giving up a bus seat right to somebody out rather than thinking exclusively of yourself, starting to think more about others around you and the rule of law, and, you know, and what have you. And I'd argue that par- prior to the invasion, Ukraine had reached that that period. Yeah. Um, only if you look back, if you look back ten years, Ukraine was rife uh, with corruption yeah. uh, and backwardness. But by the beginning of twenty twenty two. Uh, The country was really on its path to joining the other civilized nations of Europe, right? In uh, you know, like Lithuania, I I'd argue, I believe, you know, it deserves a place uh, in our institutions such as the EU and NATO. And and it's ironic, you know, because Putin's Russia. We talk about kleptocracy. Putin's Russia is very much a kleptocracy, where oligarchs and politicians fill their pockets, and that rot uh, is is throughout society. And, and I'd argue that uh, I just go as far as to describe Putin's army as, as having many, many bandits. Uh, it's hard. It's not an army filled with ideological, ideological fervor. Uh, it seems to be a force in pursuit of um, stealing what they can yeah. from the victims. It's very simple.
0: I agree. I agree. Okay. So your book... Your book, okay? Um, you hook the reader, you hook the reader. Yurati, um, you know, she's swimming and she's, you write, as she looked up at the Lithuanian coastal sky and backstroked herself out to sea, Yurati is thinking about her father. And the reader does not know until later how important oh god how important that reading that original scene the impact it has on her like later when she is attacked right yeah oh this book this book gordon (laughs) okay it it hit me so taking it up (laughs) can you taking it up a bit can you tell our readers what your rati means you know (sighs) But personal, personal
1: fantasy plays an, uh, such an important role in human psychology. And it's something that we really don't talk about much. So, you know, it seems to be acceptable to talk about dreams, uh, even if, even if they're a little embarrassing. And I guess if there are things that we can't control, so, so it's okay to talk about them. But each of us have fantasies, and these are usually... Our, our most guard, guarded secrets. Um, these are dream worlds that we create when we're awake, uh, and they allow us to explore. You know, they allow us to explore places. They allow us to meet people who are dead, whether they were personal to us or historical characters. Uh, they allow us to be someone that we always wanted to, to, to be. And Friorati, she mixes her love of the sea with her memories of her fall.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, you, you know, you may associate a noise or a place or a smell with someone. For your it's a sea that reminds her of her father and she goes into that fantasy mode when she's swimming. When And when, you know, when we experience times of high stress, we often embrace our fantasies. And, you know, rather than dealing with pain. That may seem all-encompassing. We allow ourselves an outlet, and we allow ourselves our minds to wander. Um, you know the places that we've created in you know in our own minds. And when you're at a, when Murate is attacked, she she lies on her bed. She's dying, and in her mind, uh, she's swimming. She's trying to swim through that pain. Uh, then she hears her father's voice uh, as he eggs her on, a- and she. Uh, she thinks she may uh, be, you know, be being calling, be, he may be calling her to heaven.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's actually this fantasy that prevents that trip yeah. and it's... saves her life.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So the actual name, though, your rati, does it mean like sea goddess?
1: ah yeah it, it no so it doesn't but that's yes. an excellent question but and it's at the root actually uh yura uh means the sea and Urate is a is a common uh girl's name okay. and it's popular uh to your point uh because it's also the name of a uh of a lithuanian um, sea goddess and Urate would be the equivalent of Poseidon. um uh, she's the goddess of the sea, uh, and uh, you know, and like I guess, like Irate in my in my own novel, the legend of Irate the Urata, the sea goddess is, is a sad one. Um, okay. She falls in love. This is uh, the sea goddess falls in love with a, a mortal a fisherman, yeah. and when Perkunas, the thunder god, so he's a superior god, learns of this affair, he's outraged, and he creates uh, he creates a storm, and kills that lover, kills the fisher. Yeah. And now, after any storm, flecks of amber appear on Baltic beaches, Baltic beaches, yeah. and these are the tears of Urati. Yeah, So those are believed to be her tears when you find those flecks on the beach. So in the book, The Legend of the Sea Goddess is often contrasted uh, with the real life of Eurati, uh, the market trade.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And we will get further into why both Gord and I are just like hit with your Rati a, a little later. Now, Vanna, her story is also in this book. And I have to say it was at her baby shower. She has this baby shower. And I wanted to share this because you write about, uh, Paprika. I know some people pronounce it paprika, paprika, paprika. I'm sorry, my mother, who was Hungarian, pronounced it paprika. I will forever pronounce it paprika. Okay, so you write about paprika and cucumber soup, and that was an Easter egg to me because I remember helping my mom, and she would make a Hungarian cucumber salad. So oh, okay. We we um, uh, peel the cucumbers, slice them really thin, and then she'd say put a bunch of salt on it, and then the salt brought out the the, the water in the cucumber, and then you literally you'd squeeze the cucumbers to get the water out, and then she'd mix some like cream with it or cream or sour cream and put the paprika on it, and that was our cucumber salad. Right.
1: Well, that is fascinating. And I, I think
0: I've had that. Salad. Uh, yeah. The, and, and you know, the intention, uh,
1: that I believe that's from a speech that someone's giving at a baby shower yeah. and, uh, uh, so, it with the, the intent was to illustrate the coming together of, of two cultures. So, Vanna is the Hungarian. Uh, her The father of her new baby is a Lithuanian, uh, Darius. And so, cold cucumber soup is a uh, Lithuanian traditional da- dish. And, well, of course, we know where paprika comes from. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and you know, the ingredients seem a little uh, like an odd mix, but uh, so are Darius and Vanna. I don't
0: yeah. Think. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. Now, if people are wondering why I was getting a little choked up talking about uh ratty and that scene where she's swimming, it's because Gordon please confirm Urati is a real person isn't she
1: <laughs> uh, uh, the the storyline is, is based yeah uh, and I took some uh, I took some liberties on a real person and yeah. uh, her name isn't uh, Urate but you know I, I couldn't uh, resist using uh, Urate to tie in the story of the, the sea goddess and, and uh, you know I recently had the tremendous honor to meet uh, the real, uh, you're at it. and uh, we were in Europe at the end of the last uh, month uh, and uh, uh, it was quite uh, quite something because we'd only ever communicated previously uh, you know, electronically you know by email or other ways but and she she is very much the person that I thought she'd be she's um, she's a business person uh, yeah. she exudes self-confidence and so you can tell where that bravery uh, yeah. you know had come from and she she said something while we were together, and uh, she said for years after these events, she never talked. She uh, never what? I'm sorry. She never talked about
0: them. Okay. She never
1: discussed them. And she she in her mind she was ashamed of the things that had happened to her. Uh, but then she began to have a change of you know change of heart. She thought to herself you know what why why should i be ashamed uh yeah. about talking about it you know and i really like that about uh her strong character uh so uh, in her mind she might be a victim but she feels she just shouldn't succumb to victimization yes. and she wasn't responsible for the events that happened during this period and and, no. and, and so why shouldn't she talk about
0: it? <laughs> i gotta tell you <laughs> when i came to that scene thank you God, I saw your Facebook post (laughs) with a photo (laughs) of her. I think I would have been a wreck. Okay. So so,
1: no, she's doing okay. She's doing very well. It
0: it was it was to the point I remember I was reading. Okay, I'm I'm jumping ahead here. I first I want to learn how okay, I'm not gonna jump ahead. How did you come about? Her story, how did she come about? How did you find out about the Lithuanian market trader? So uh, my
1: uh, my stories attracted um, some incredible readers. Yeah. Um, and a little after The Angels of Plypetta, which is my second book, got released, um, I got a message from a a very nice lady in Florida, and, and Plypetta was her hometown, and she was very excited uh the, the setting uh you know however she was she wanted to point out that the novel that she just read only depicted the positive things that were happening yeah. uh in her you know in kleipeda at that time and she correctly pointed out that the 90s were a time of incredible brutality for many who were you know trying to scrape by and and did she have a story for me and she went mm-hmm. on to tell me the story of the market trader and, you know, i was so interested joanna that i asked her to connect me with uh that market trader and my urate then wrote yeah. me an essay about her terrible year year and again i took a lot of pieces loosely based on her um, on her life story uh but it's an inspiration for a good chunk
0: of the novel yeah that's amazing that's amazing how that came about okay so that scene when she is attacked okay it's brutal um I've written a scene in Dealer's Child where Jade is basically she's molested. And that was a tough scene to write, but it's fiction, okay? And um, I remember after I wrote it, I took Ozzy for a walk. I thought I got to clear, clear my head here and go out for a walk with the dog, okay? Now, the attack, to hear about it, I'm just, I was thinking about you And I was thinking, A, first to hear about it and then to write about it, I thought would have been extremely difficult. But I could understand why you would want to write about it because you want to show the will and the strength and the courage of this woman's survival, right? Is, is Did you feel any of that? I'll tell you, Gordon, I was sitting in that green chair. I had the little puppy on me and I'm reading because it's on my e-reader, your book. Mm-hmm. And I have the little puppy on me and I was petting him as I'm reading. And then I get to that scene and I noticed I had slowed down petting him. Right. Like it just, yeah. it was a very physical. So talk to me about that scene, about writing it. It Talk to me about it.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, that's an interesting question. Uh, you can tell you've done your stint as an author when you ask <laughs> that kind of question. Right. <laughs> it's a, uh, and, and you know, so when I read the original depiction, it was brutal. Yeah, and it is more brutal than what's depicted in my story. And and I felt I had to to soften it a little bit, both for believability and for uh, and to allow the reader to uh, to get through it. Right, I'd say. So I hope that you. Uh, enjoyed the passage. Uh you know what's odd though? It's odd when you have to soften um reality to make fiction believable. And and I felt I had to do that. And, and 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 to your point, the human the human survival instinct um can be incredibly strong. Yeah. And and I think it may be even more so with a strong-willed person like you And part of her strength is being able to draw herself into that dream world. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, as she she as she lays dying, uh with, you know, with multiple stab wounds yeah. on her bed while her attackers are ransacking her flat and they turn on the gas oven and they, they leave lit cigarettes on the floor. And during those uh, during those moments, she alternates between this dream world and hearing her attackers in the background and uh, there's an odd kind of anomaly that uh, is fascinating, mm-hmm. and uh, it's depicted in the book. But Urate's bedroom is located beside the main door to the flat block, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an iron grate at that uh, front door, and it's intended for people to wipe their feet as they come and go from the building. And, and it always annoyed her uh you know cuz she could hear from her bedroom she could always hear uh, people coming and going and wiping their feet and you know it would wake her at night you know but however on that day that grate that saved her life yeah so as she began increasingly to be enveloped in her dream state and to lose consciousness she hears the grate and it does wake her from that dream state uh, she, she's already heard the conversation about the cigarettes and the what have you and at that moment that moment she realizes that the great noise means that her attackers are leaving and she has one chance to save her neighbors from explosion. And that's where that strength and courage uh, becomes uh, the forefront.
0: Yeah. And I just, I, I remember just that it, it was, it was, it's such a powerful scene because of what she goes through, but yet that swimming, just mm-hmm. how she survives through that—that, that, you know, like you say, she goes into that dream state and she's thinking she's swimming and she, she's talking with her father. And um, yeah, oh, it's an amazing. I, I it's, it's, I don't want to say it's an amazing scene, Gordon, but it is an, an amazing scene because of the 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 contrast and emotions the reader feels, right? You know, So, okay. Okay. So what, what I also like is when you in the hospital and the reader is wondering, unless you see a picture of you and the real woman on Facebook. Okay. But the reader is wondering, <laughs> okay, is if she's going to live or die, because you don't know yet, even when she's in the hospital. Yeah. Okay. And you write about seeing the Baltic and seeing the door open, and it was just so beautiful, so beautiful. Just that 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 segment. Any any thoughts about that?
1: You, you know, I so <laughs> that was a very positive thing.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, I'll lead with something that's a, a little bit more uh, eerie. You, you know, you know what's fascinated me in the are those moments, those hours and days uh, preceding death. You know, I'm of the age where I had to witness, bear witness to some of this. And it's interesting in in the modern context, uh, those last hours or days, uh, they're often accompanied uh, with the patient on sedatives um, to ease that journey from, from mortality, which also puts them in a... Mm-hmm. kind of strange dream state um and in two of my books now i've explored that combination of drugs and you know and the soul's preparation you know to to cross to depart and in that in the hospital bed um urate is very confused with their she. That's right yeah. she's on a, she's been badly attacked she's been uh, she's been in a drug-induced uh, coma uh and she retreats again back into that fantasy world that we talked about uh of swimming and dreams of her father and 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 i think to the reader uh, it, it looks like she's preparing to, to do that cross right yeah. um but when she looks that open hospital door and sees the sea that's the first time she recognized that that's not possible it's not possible for a door to open and see the sea and that something's wrong and it's a and it's intended to be the first indication to the reader that she's she's starting to come back she's returning some rational thought she's coming out of it and uh so that was the, that symbol of the sea uh was intended to be a show of uh th- things are going to improve right her recognition see that this can't happen right? so yeah that was the intent
0: well, also, and I found it as after what she, given what she's gone through, it's just she's given some peace, okay, some comfort, some peace after this horrendous uh, attack she goes through. So I guess that's also what I, like, I I know I'm I know the scene, like I'm, I I remember like she's thinking there can't be a door, you know, and then someone in white is like someone's coming towards her, right? Some there can't be a door there. But it for me it also felt oh thank God this woman's having some peace you know like she hasn't like you said she hasn't crossed over yet but I thought some peace after what she's gone through so okay you okay. know the doors are interesting because
1: to me and I hope uh, I hope uh, you might concur doors really really represent have a strong sense in our symbolism you know we uh, certainly in. in judeo-christian tradition the door or that gate represents what's behind that is often a conception of what where we're going after death right so the reason that she looks towards the door and it opens and shows that that uh uh, that's part of the confusion she has because on a subconscious level i think we all associate those doors as something that we would see at the end of our life
0: yeah yeah so has the real Urati, how is she doing now? And I saw that photo. She's holding your book. What? What's, how's she doing? What's the feedback being from her? <laughs> well, I, I
1: would say, you know, it's funny how reality and fiction literature all seem to get mixed together sometimes. And she was, she was really uh, chuffed and very excited about yeah. having a story, having her story uh, put into this book. And I would say she would, uh, you know, she was seemed quite proud of it. And yeah. you know, the, the I'll call her the real Urate. The real Urate, um, she she never gives up. And as I mentioned, she's a businesswoman and uh she's in the process of renovating a guest house. And uh, you know, she shared with me uh what she's intending to call that guest house, which is going to be called Eurate's guest house. <laughs> uh you know something that's interesting though, the this is my first book about an actual character's personal history. And again, it's a loose, uh, yeah. it's, an insp- it's inspired by a story. And in the past, I've, uh, I've written historical fiction where the history is, is real, but the characters are fictional composites of various people. And I've written things about some of those composite characters only to find out that, you know, the fiction has foreshadowed uh, their actual futures. Yeah, and on this one, I had a really odd comment come back to me. And so, I worked with two ladies on this book. So, uh, one in Lithuania, erotic, and a lady I mentioned earlier in Florida. And when that the latter read the tears, tears of erotic, she had a very unusual observation. Um, And she noted that I had written about events in the book which were true, yeah. but which neither of them had ever told me. Oh. So, and you know what it's like, Joanna, as a writer, well, you, you try to get into character's head and understand how they would react and what they might do next in situations. So when you're writing these stories, you can actually not only foretell the future in some cases, because yeah. that seems to be the next logical sequence, but, you know, in this case, you may even under-earth gaps in real stories because you have to fill those gaps and in a lot of cases you think well now that I know this character this is this is how this is likely to proceed
0: yeah yeah and that's when that happens when you're writing fiction and you find something which is close in real life that is what just makes you go oh my god (laughs) right that blows your mind yeah yeah okay now Vanna Vana and Anurati I'm thinking thinking about Ukraine that their yes. storylines that's their storylines are playing out now like it's would you, would you think do you think that
1: you No, know, that 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 that's an excellent um question um let me think okay you know for the last few months um I've been volunteering the Ukrainian community. I think many of us have been trying to do whatever we can. So I've been assisting newcomers at the airport and, and uh, you know, taking them around to get free clothes or you know, the need are get, getting their kids enrolled in school or yeah. helping with uh, you know, whatever they need, Medi- getting medical insurance uh, from, the, from the state. And and, I, and and I've probably met many of that in your office. Um you you sort of have to be tough to thrive in a world that's engineered to beat you down, right? That's yeah. to keep you in your place. And many who've survived war and occupation, um, who are, are probably familiar with this type of tough female protagonist, right? Yeah, I've, and I've and I've, met, and I've met many women who've dragged children across Europe to get to yeah. uh, to safety. And I and in the media, we've seen endless depictions of fairly heroic doctors and soldiers and caregivers who just uh, won't uh, give up. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, right, right, right. let me go off topic for a minute. No, go, 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 KJ, go, yeah. We always have the great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> everything when you listen to this program, but you know, I, I, it, it's frustrating for me because history repeats, mm-hmm. you know, and each time it does, people don't necessarily see it repeating and they think there's, this is something new. And I, I would love, my the storyline of ukraine to play out the same way as in my novels okay. uh, and as we've discussed there are parallels right there um but my fear my fear is that this isn't the uh early 2000s 1990s into 2000s uh, my fear is that the current conflict looks a lot like uh something out of 1939 right and yeah. specifically with the german invasion of of Poland um, and the characters, the
0: propaganda the techniques—they all seem extremely uh, similar. Okay, so you're right about you're right about police corruption. There is a definite feeling of lawlessness when you're reading this book, but you do—you have this feeling, this this feeling, this even if it's just four individuals in the police department who want to try to make a difference, right? Inspector Boracus, he wants to make a difference. And I found myself as the reader, you're seeing Inspector Boracus wanting to make change. He doesn't want corruption. He, you know, it's two weeks later after the attack that they're going to investigate, but he wants, he has plans. He, he knows what he wants. And then you have gerardi Jurati, sorry, Jurati's husband, Lucas. He wants to contact the mob because he wants payback. Right. And I understood both sides. I totally understood both sides. Right. So I was curious because there is an interrogation scene with one of the I, 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 this is crown coming out me, Gordon. I'll say. I can hear it. Accused, one of the accused. Okay. Being interrogated. And I was wondering about the research for that interrogation. Oh, yeah. uh,
1: With your background, I'm very curious what you thought about that. I thought it was
0: legit. That's what I'm asking. This is (laughs) damn good. Uh,
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I write about the lawlessness. Of of this place, right? But then uh, there's also these rays of hope, right? This is at this time, there's uh, you know, the, the government, for example, is trying to grapple with uh, this uh, problem of, uh, of rampant corruption. Um, yeah. And Barakas is part of an anti-corruption project. Um, so instead of reporting to the local police uh, command, he his um, his unit reports directly to the Interior Minister. Uh, Interior Ministry. And uh, Inspector Baracus has been to the United States. He's been trained by Americans uh, in Chicago in modern police techniques uh and he's one of those early adopters to the concept of civil society so it would be unusual for a policeman to be we're still in a period of kleptocracy right but he's represents a new breed right where they really want to do policing you know be you know in a in a conscientious i'll call it western uh because he's he's trained in the united states and um and it's such a contrast with the police force that's, that's been just infiltrated in, in the Soviet, immediate post-Soviet era. Uh, and uh, With, you know, with corruption, it's, it's a complete, he is a very different policeman and he's allowed to hire his own people and has a lot of leeway to do the things that he wants to do. Um, and I've never written a, a crime drama before, but I've always been interested in police techniques, especially when trying to draw the truth uh, you know from a suspect yeah. and I was years ago you probably know this uh, and I was fascinated by an interrogation that was broadcast on television and and for for listeners in Canada and probably not outside Canada but listeners in Canada they they might well remember it and there had been a number of sexual assaults and murders and the subject of interrogation, was a colonel in the Canadian military, mm-hmm. and his name was Russell Williams. Okay. And the interrogator, I think he was Ontario Provincial Police, which is commonly known by locals as OPP. Yeah. Was a gentleman. Oh my goodness! And when I say the name, I, I think you might even rec- rec- uh, recognize it, um, Jim Jim Smythe. Okay. Yeah. So, I was so I was fascinated by his techniques. Um, He tried to put the subject at ease, built a relationship with him during the first hour of their time together, Um, and then he used a lot of breaks and silence, punctual really important moments then he slowly worked toward demanding the truth, right? So once he built up that relationship, he was in a position where he could start pushing that envelope and start demanding information. And and although it's not spoken out, right, when there's hours that you can watch this thing, I think it went on for about four hours, but it, it although it's, uh, you know, it's not, never spoken out, right, it, it, you know, Jim seems to use these <laughs> Uh, it seems to be constantly reading his suspect, right? The body language, right? He's, and the body language is very interesting. Of in this, you can, yeah, you you can see uh, when he's trying to not tell the truth or evade the truth, or when he's said something but there's much more to say. Yeah. And it's incredible police work how he massages that. Um, in a very respectful way uh, it, uh, as he demands and gets, and it must've been very hard. I mean, these are very disturbing crimes. And at some point you want to say, after hours of doing this, I think uh, most of us would say, oh, you, you know, how, how, you know, he, he, you want to explode, but he doesn't. He controls himself throughout that. And that was the inspiration for uh, how Baracus, uh you know, approaches his suspect, and I even let because Baracus is so new to this. I even let him make a mistake, which uh, the interrogator in the uh, Colonel Williams case did not make. <laughs> and but I, I let him make a mistake, and for him to indicate to himself, and he tells his subordinate that he made a mistake at one point, and uh, but but it, it doesn't affect his 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 case. Uh, now, so I'm curious, Joanna. uh yeah, you you're familiar with some of these techniques from my uh, previous previous life do you do you think I did okay
0: with that uh, oh my god like I said I was reading it and I thought this is good this is good how did he do this (laughs) 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 how did you know and as you were talking if you saw me looking down I want to check that out Gordon like I've written it down Jim Smythe Interrogation.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely. I I think you know when I did wrote the book, it was I it was on uh, YouTube and they had more or less the whole you know, the whole interview. It goes on for mm-hmm. for hours, but you know you, you start watching that, it's better than any crime drama. It is just fascinating uh, how he got that training to be able to elicit the truth from someone who's very reluctant to give it. Right, yeah. and and when he finally starts to get those bits of truth, it's it's just like a, an avalanche of information. Right, and he's opening up and telling everything. Right now, once he's given it away, it's It's just um, they're getting all the details about these poor victims and and, how he did all this stuff and uh, full confession.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I I remember just working with a couple of police officers and just a a few of them saying, you know, one fellow, he, uh, uh, when someone was put in, um, it's not protective custody, what is it when they give you a new identity? I I forget. Oh, witness protection. Yeah, he was he was working with a fellow. They were putting the witness protection, and just you know. <laughs> Some people don't think this, but this guy, he, you know, he'd leave his hotel, and you know, the poor cop would be like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> You've got my cell. If you need something, right? Like, just don't go walk out on the street. You know, you're you're in protection, right? Yes. Yeah. So, oh dear. You know, it was a. It was a. That's why I thought I had to ask because I thought this is good. This is really good. So. The other thing, you know, we didn't talk too much about Vanna and Darius, but it's interesting because, you know, you're mentioning how Darius he's involved in the political scene, and he's trying to get Lithuania into the EU, and he's he's trying like he's he's so trying hard, and it's like he's so focused on the the big scale, the big picture, right? That in his own home, Vana, they have their little boy and Vana's about ready to lose her mind because she's just, she's been with this baby and has colic all the time. Right. And she's just like Darius. I love that. Love that Darius here. Right. Yes. Yes. Out she goes, you know, so it's almost like he was so focused on the big picture of the country that he wasn't he had no clue or focus on what was going on in his own home. in Yes, a way, right. And you, you, you
1: very yeah. astute. And you were also supposed to see he lost track of what's yeah. going on in his in his country, right? In yeah. his community. So he's so focused on this that there are people within his, uh, you know, his own community that are struggling to survive, and they're important people. They've they've struggled through, uh, you know, the, the the depiction of the forest brother that had uh, struggled in the forest to fight for his country and now didn't have money to eat, right? And um, he was so focused on his project and that can be a problem in politics, right? It's a, um, they, when they became so focused on um, uh, on the, the little picture that they lose the big picture. So he lost view of what was going on in his own home. Yeah. Uh, he'd lost view of what was going on in his own community. And so, and he starts to make mistakes and I let those mistakes uh, take him to that understanding that he yeah. about what's going on in his stuff that he's never thought about. He's now forced to think about it. and he embraces it, to his credit. It's a fantastic character.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: He always tries to do the right thing, even though it, he doesn't necessarily know what that is, but he always tries <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's, so it's uh, I'm very proud of Darius of that. They always try to uh, figure out, what's going to happen next. Not unlike you, Radley, but
0: a very different kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about writing in communities, because I'm curious now, I feel like you've been really, really busy, okay, (laughs) traveling and, you know, so I had an author on the podcast, and she said that each author needs to find their community, their writing community, their support system, their group that helps and supports, you know, and is happy for your success. Do you feel you have found, like, your your writing community, your community? I, I, you know, I think so. I, you know, I'm always open to to new
1: (laughs) ideas. And so I like to hear from, I'm very blessed as I mentioned, I have some very uh, wonderful readers and, you know, and friends. Uh, that not only help with inspiration on ideas, but also with editing. You know, uh, my editing is done, I have people that I can easily call upon to do subject matter expert uh, stuff. So yeah. there's a couple of editing types that I, I use. One is someone who goes through and looks for cultural and historical um, uh nuances that aren't correct uh and identifies them so that would never happen right this couldn't happen that way or this should happen this way and and i also look for and i also have a wonderful friend that uh uh, in cindy in copenhagen who does (laughs) who does the technical editing and just you were you were talked about your technical editing It's a tough thing to do, right? And no matter how many times you as an author read that, you're leaving mistakes, right? You have to let other people read them and say, okay, that, uh," you know, and even then in the lab, in every book I've written, the first edition, uh, keep it because. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even when it's published i've gone back and this one had a serious one it was lucky i i caught it uh that i uh, i think one of the first pre- person to to buy it and certainly to read it identified it, it was quite a nasty it was a name uh problem and i used vana instead of urate in a very critical piece uh of uh, something that's happening to urate kicking out her husband and i had to go back you know, and, and, and get a change. So, yeah, yeah I do have that wonderful cool, but I'm always looking for new people. So if uh, somebody's got a story out there, I'd love to hear it.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'll admit too, I, a reader, I'm glad he pointed it out. I really am. And um, I know my editor listens to this podcast. It has nothing to do with her or any of my ARC readers. This mistake was totally me. Okay my fault yep. and it has to do with that car that lambert lamborghini mirror okay so big mistake that i did uh, me 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 okay is in my research how i had read about um enzo for, for oh i can't remember his name now who made this car okay I somehow got it wrong where it wasn't him at 22 who made this car, but he assembled a young team to make this car. Okay. Right. yeah. And so I had said it was, and like the, the car maker himself who made the car, but no, he couldn't have because he was born in 1916. Okay. So yep. that that's totally 100% me in my research right? yeah so and you
1: uh, and you know readers and they're quite right like um, yeah. when we publish a book it should be perfect right? yeah it should be perfect and and i don't know how many times i read like, so my first book lullaby myself so it was you know we went through the story readers and editors and and i i must have read it five times right yeah. and it was a this is a 650 page yeah. book. it was yeah. huge and um and I thought it was perfect, right? Yeah. And, it's a, and it's a very hard thing to achieve. So I appreciate when readers identify those errors, yeah. uh, but I also appreciate with some sympathy because uh, quite, quite often they, they think they
0: for 20 bucks, they should get perfection. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to achieve. Yeah. So that was me. Right. It was totally me, totally me. But I went in, I fixed it, <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah. So, okay. So now my next question is, do you feel you've changed as a writer from that first book, Lithuanian Lullaby? Oh, uh,
1: I, I would say, absolutely. Abs, uh, you know, that Lithuanian Lullaby, that we talked about it, uh, I don't know, uh, our first show, I think. But actually, I don't know that we did because we, we, I think you were the first person to ever interview me. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but Lithuanian Lullaby, you're aware, was, yeah, was hit the press uh, all over. Uh, Lithuania and, and all over the Lithuanian diaspora, especially Chicago and, and Toronto, and places like that. There, uh, but we were all we were in the uh, you know the uh, the biggest newspaper, the, the state broadcaster, uh, both television and website, and uh, it was really a, a big deal. But I, in my heart, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but you know it's a it's a meandering book it's a what it's a, it's a me i would describe it as meandering okay okay <laughs> and uh it, it's it's a you know it's uh it's a book that uh, involves 10 years of history wow. uh, so it's a it's, it's a big read uh, and there's four continents that uh that are some of the action occurs in. And, and, you know, it's very much centered on character development and dealing with the, the tenor of the times. In some ways, the plot is more of a background, and it's really a focus on, on these people's lives and how they're and how they contribute, and, you know, what have you. And, and you know, I, I think I have become a better writer. Uh, although, again, the, the most popular book is still yeah. uh, uh, But, you know, readers who've read all three will likely know... Um, a very different conclusion to the, the, the latter two than, uh, in that lullaby. Uh, in some ways, the final chapter of Lullaby was important, but there are many important chapters to that book. Okay. And but but you wouldn't be able to fully appreciate um, Tears of murate or Angels of Clipperton without reading it, it yeah. through. And, and I'm not going to give away the conclusions, but. If you're if you're reading either of those books at the moment and are tempted to put either down, uh, you know I, I I'd say this is what any uh, author would say keep reading because yeah. I've learned some tricks about plot climax. and once okay. you get to that final chapter it sort of everything becomes uh, you know revealed. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my last question and. I just, uh, you've kind of touched on this a bit. So you take yourself back to when you published Lithuanian Lullaby. Then the angels of Klaipeda. And now you've published Tears of Yurati, which really hit me. Did you believe when you published Lithuanian Lullaby that you would have this journey, this readership, this experience, because from what I can see, you're traveling around the world. You were in, was it Chicago? Yeah. Or, Chicago, yeah. yeah. You're talking at universities, cultural events. You you were in Europe. Did you ever envisioned all of this happening? <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I, I can say uh, it, it's been an incredible Journey, you know, and during our first interview to get together, uh I think I may have told you that I hesitated about publishing my first book with William. Really? And you know, and 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 you know, so imagine having, and I was embarrassed about it. You know, I thought it exposed my soul. Right? It's a, and all first-time writers, I think, go through some of this stuff, but um, and 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 I might have shared with you. So I had written. You know what is the equivalent in a published book of six hundred and I think thirty some odd pages, and uh, I got to the point where I actually deleted it. Right? I No, had written you, it. You, so sorry, I deleted you deleted
0: it. Lithuanian lullaby.
1: Lithuanian lullaby. Yeah, I deleted. Jeez. And I, I after much thought. I thought I'm not, this was something I did for me. It was some way of cathartic, you know. We had just retired and I was looking for some meaning in my life and I wanted to explore that storytelling um, part of my psyche that I never really got to develop. And and so, I, it, you know, thank goodness for recycle boxes. You can pull them out, right? I'd say, uh, and I, so I deleted it and the next day I, Pulled it out and looked at it again, and then what? You know, you go through that journey of maybe if oh, someone so right and just see. And I, I think I let. it, I think I went. I went out to three close uh, uh, friends, yeah. and you know, the first person who got back to me said, ah, "I don't know,"
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: and, but then the other two, uh, there was such enthusiasm for it. That uh, I thought maybe I should, and then I let I let it go further out, and it became a kind of uh, a ball that rolling. And then I hit, you know, I then you know published it. So and but and I'm glad that I published it. Uh, I could never have foreseen the the journey that has become you uh, know my life over the last year and a bit. I've spoken at uh, Christina's in Vancouver uh, University of Illinois, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, the Balzakis, uh Museum in Chicago, and you know, last month they had a very, very special one. I spoke at the Kadaini Library in Lithuania. Kadaini' is a small city, but yeah. it, that was a very special one uh, for yeah. me because it was my uh, my wife uh, three decades uh, was born there and grew up there, and uh, it was a, and it was a very well attended, surprisingly a very well attended event. It was on the local television news, and uh, yeah. and it was a you know a wonderful experience. So there's something really special about writing something and somehow it touches people in some way and uh it's it's really special to be asked to talk about it right yeah. uh you know in that kind of a venue and so the, you know the simple answer to that the, I, uh, I've meandered with the uh, answer but <laughs> <laughs> the simple answer is no I never foresaw any of this and and, and I love meeting people in different parts of the world that you know that have read my book it's it, it's an incredible honor
0: yeah Thank God you didn't empty your recycle bin. <laughs> no, it isn't. You know what? I don't know. I here's something. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, right? I'm now. Sorry, I'm <laughs> losing my mind thinking that you deleted. Yeah, deleted. it was I a uh,
1: can you imagine it was a bestseller of it. <laughs> in its category in uh, US and Canada? It's still doing well. You know, yeah. at, at, anytime I write a new book, the uh, Lithuanian lullaby seems to increase its uh, its uh, its sales. But you know, you know what's interesting? I don't know if you really i'll go off on another tangent but the um one thing that lithuanian lullaby some of the characters evoked strong emotions from some of the readers, right and and i learned something there that uh, as a writer that i would never have foreseen and and vana was a, a case there were uh, uh vana's a very strong Uh, character right and she starts as this lost teenage girl and she works her way up to you know to a very lofty business uh person who's involved in all sorts of uh altruistic uh, kinds of things And, and and one thing i when talking to people who've read that book one thing i learned that once you let that book out those characters no longer belong to you right? They really belong to the person who's read that book. And so if you're, you know, you have to be careful about oh, uh, you know, this is what you intended or this is what, for these characters, because in their minds, they are very specific. And so uh, I learned uh, with one conversation about Vanna that uh, though that character is very, uh, probably very close to the person and that's how she sees herself. Right. Yeah. So any kind of uh, any kind of Deviation from anything other than that being just a perfect character is unwelcome, right? That's now the reader's character. And from her perspective, this is what Vanna represents
0: to her. And I think that's why readers, when you get such an attachment to a character, when they make it into a movie, that's why some readers just. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah, That is not Vanna. I'm sorry. Not.
1: No, right. Uh, <laughs> that actress. It is absolutely true. it's right? strange. So be careful what you careful what you say after you publish your book because the characters are no longer yours once they've been read by somebody else they become uh features in their own mind, right? Yeah.
0: So what's next? What's next? Are there more books situated in Europe uh, along this theme? Um what's next? What's next, Gordon? Uh-huh. No, I wish. Uh, I wish I knew. <laughs> I,
1: I published three very quickly, uh, and you know, I think I'm, a, I'm interested in changing gears. So I'm. I still love that concept of hope and overcoming barriers and setbacks, because I think that is what makes us human, right? And that's the inspiration. So these books try to give that feeling of inspiration. Right? Characters go through rough times. They they try to figure it out, uh, mostly successfully, not always. Uh, and you know, I have to say, I love the stories of Central Europe, uh, and it's been great to have that fan base there. But I live in a city, uh, Vancouver, British yeah. Columbia, and there are things around me uh, here uh, that interest me. And let's say I've been writing a lot of historical fiction, but there's stuff happening around me right now that's uh, you know, and a change of setting might be interesting. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I'm very open uh, to suggestions. So, just like that lady in. Uh, florida who gave me the lead to uh, tears of erratic if our listeners out there that have story you know i'd love to
0: hear it well gordon i won't keep you when you come out with book four i want to know about it <laughs> okay about you'll about be it. my first call <laughs> okay well look i won't keep you and thank you this has been a pleasure as always thanks joetta okay you, you have a good day you too cheerio Bye.